Welcome to With Maze and Mal, a podcast where two sisters come together to talk about growing up, living life, all while managing a rare chronic illness. We have lots to say and we are finally sharing our stories. We want to acknowledge that we know everyone's experience will look different and everyone's story is valid, so don't think your journey has to look just like ours. We are not medical professionals, so any recommendations we make on here are based on our own experiences and any changes you make to your care should be discussed with your providers. On the last episode of With Maze and Mal, we introduced our incredible mother, and it seemed like <laughs> she was a huge hit with you guys, um, as she is with everyone who meets her. Um, and during that episode, we realized there was a lot more that we could dig into, so we decided to have her back for a part two to kind of finish where we left off. Um, and also, we just really like hanging out together and uh, reminiscing about our childhood. So thanks for letting us do that. And on this episode, we'll get more into both of our diagnostic journeys. I know that earlier in the podcast, we talked about what we remember, but we'll have our mom uh, explain how things actually happened. Obviously, that is a long, you know, could be its own episode, but we'll kind of give the high level version and what it's been like connecting with other rare disease families and lots more. So at the beginning of our podcast adventure and some of our earlier episodes, we talked about how uh, Mal and I were both diagnosed and sort of what that was like um, and how it was different from our perspectives. But um, how were those two journeys, just to dive right into it, how are those two journeys different from your perspective? Um, kind of knowing that like, I would, there was a good chance I would have what Mal had and like, how did you, I guess, deal with that or prepare for that? What was that like for, to go through with both of us? Well, with Mallory, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know what was going on. She was born a perfect, healthy baby. Nothing was amiss. I mean, there was some meconium staining at the beginning, but that's not that uncommon. So um, she was fine probably until about five weeks old when she started to have some pretty bad um, GI symptoms. And, um, and they continued to get worse and worse. Like, and, and then, and when you're an infant, you know, you don't have a lot of uh, backup body weight or, you know, um, anything to fortify you to get through that. So it was very, she was very quickly went from being a, you know, chubby, happy little baby to a very uh, dehydrated, uh, emaciated baby. So I took her to the doc. Well, first of all, I kept calling the doctor and saying that she was vomiting and having diarrhea. And my mom was living with us and she had eight kids and she knew this was not okay. And so I kept calling the doctor and that first thing out of their mouth was, is this your first baby? And I say, yes. And they'd say, well, you know, their diary, their poop is different, blah, blah, blah. So finally, when I called um, one time, my mom yelled into the phone. My mom is, was very shy and very quiet, and, but she yelled into the phone. I had eight kids and this is not normal. And um, they said, okay, you know, bring her in. So I brought her in and the doctor said, um, you need to drive her to the hospital 
Um, do not stop, do not go home and pack a bag. Just drive her to the emergency room right now. And I'm gonna call them and prepare them for you. And I, I, I remember saying to the doctor, is she gonna have to have an IV? <laughs> okay, so, um, and that was, the, you know, her diagnostic journey lasted over a year. We started at the local hospital, ended up at Dartmouth, went from Dartmouth to Boston. And, um, you know, there were, I could, t I could do a whole podcast just on how each hospital dealt, but her, her diagnosis was at Boston Children's um, after she was, a, she was over a year old. Now, when, we finally decided to have you, Maisie, you know, we, we knew there was a one in four chance that you could have the same thing, but we figured, you know, one in four, that's, you know, it's not terrible. So, um, and we figured at least, you know, we know how to cope. So, um, and we didn't, you were fine. You were born fine and everything was fine until you were about five months old, you started getting ear infections. So, we were giving you oral antibiotics and they weren't clearing up the ear infections. So they thought maybe you had some sort of absorption problem then. So then they um, gave you a shot of an antibiotic to clear up the ear infections, which we didn't know at the time caused your liver to fail. So they gave you the shot twice. So your liver failed for a long time. Um, and then they didn't know what to do. And then finally, this little medical student, this young girl, um, Whitney was her name, I'll never forget her. She said, she did some research and found out that the reason your liver was doing what it was doing <clears throat> was because they had given you the shot. It was a very, very rare side effect. So luckily it did wear off and your liver returned to functioning. But meanwhile, your body had taken a pretty tremendous toll and then you started slipping into you also breastfed for a really long time and as you weaned then the the disease kicked in more so so um and that made me feel bad because when mallory was first sick they made me stop breastfeeding and she got real sick real fast so um everybody was always taken with your late onset and i i do um i i do chalk that up to breastfeeding so um, I, I think that gave you something that you needed. It didn't necessarily with Mallory, but I still regret having stopped because I think it at least was um, emotionally helpful, so. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, thank you, Whitney. That's also the name of the Barbie whose hair I cut. Right. It's, Sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> she was awesome. She was so smart. Yeah, that's, there's a, uh, I was listening to another podcast and they did a whole segment on um, the impact that breastfeeding can have and like how the mother's body can like create like antibodies for whatever the baby is like dealing with. And like if the mom has twin, I think I talked about this on another podcast because it was so mind blowing to me. Like if the mom has twins, she can like feed one baby on one side and one baby on the other side. And the like, boobs will like pick up information about the baby and give each baby what they need shut up really no i'm serious i didn't know that and i yes. was a home visitor. yeah that's weird. i'm yeah. gonna have to listen to that that's interesting do it so yeah thanks for thanks for it, doing that you're welcome it is interesting too because 
when I got my MPH, we had a whole class about breastfeeding and I remember the different experiences and, you know, I do think that that definitely played a role um, in Maisie's differences, but yeah, it's fascinating. And as always, thank you for uh, paving the way so they didn't mess my stuff up like they did yours, Mel. You're so welcome. That's what I'm here for. So, um, Mom, can you talk a little bit about what your experiences has been connecting with other families um, who had children with microvillus inclusion disease? And I know, like, earlier on, um, you know, it's pretty rare. And so not having things like Facebook and social media, like, you know, there wasn't as much of that community, but how were you able to connect with other families? Well, I'll never forget the first family I connected with. Um, at Boston Children's, the physicians there put me together with another family and um, their child, a little girl, um, was, I think she was about four when you were one. So, um, so they came to visit us. And I think I, I think I talked about this a little bit on the last podcast that, um, you know, they introduced me to her and I was like, my kid doesn't have your kid. I was in denial. I was in the denial phase and I was not very nice to her, but, um, but her little girl was so cute and you two could have been sisters. Like there were so many similarities. It wasn't even funny. And, um, and she was a sweetheart. We kind of lost touch over the years because um, they had some pretty um, extreme religious views that um, sort of, pushed me away, but um, some of the ways they handled things, I, I wouldn't have handled them that way. But, um, and then I reconnected and um, she passed away. Um, I can't remember how old you were when she passed away. But um, then by that time I had met another family out in California and um, we were in touch for a very long time, but they, took the root of transplants and then we sort of lost touch after that. And then, um, and then, um, Ken reached out and that was the next, that was the next family that I, Oh no, I take that back. We met a family in Maine. There was one other family in Maine and, um, he died in infancy by medical error. So, um, that was sad too. So, and there were a few babies that I met over time, you know, um, from a distance who also passed away, mostly from liver failure. So, so it was, I'll be honest, it was hard for me to attach myself to new families. So when we met these young families that, you know, are now doing so awesome, I was torn. I was torn with, um, with getting attached, you know, and also, um, this new batch of families knows so much more than I ever did. And I, you know, I don't feel like I can be a huge help to them in any way, except for emotional support, because I did, you know, I don't any, I don't memorize you guys' lab results anymore, any of that kind of stuff. You're all, you know, you're taking care of yourself now. So, and, and I'll be honest, sometimes our discussions give me PTSD. <laughs> so, um, and I also firmly believe that it is not my role to give medical advice to anybody. I am not a physician. Um, I am not up on the latest, um, you know, 
updates on treatment for this or for anything. So I don't feel comfortable giving any kind of medical advice. Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. Um, and, you know, we have also sort of seen this, you know, quote unquote community evolve. Um, and first of all, I remember going to California meeting that family um, and the boys that had the um, our same disease. And it was so interesting. Um, you know, there were those physical similarities, but also things like we, you know, ate the same things. And, you know, that was when we started to see some of those themes that were so interesting, like when we were younger, because I had never, you know, besides that, that one girl when I was super young, you know, we hadn't seen anybody with MID before. Um, and, you know, in terms of the Facebook group, I think that's so important that you talk about, you know, not giving medical advice because I have been a part of, you know, creating and moderating this group as, you know, to our knowledge, the oldest living person with our disease. And there has been, you know, times where you just have to be really careful. And so I've done things like create, you know, a privacy statement, just letting people know that, you know, even though we all share this, this lived experience, like we are not providers, like, and also things vary. We have people from different countries and, you know, the way healthcare is in America is totally different than, you know, other countries um, that are joining this group. And it's incredible to see the reach that we have. Um, but we also, you know, you do have to be really careful and just remember, you know, as you're sharing pictures of your children or their medical devices or things like that, like we're still all strangers on the internet. And as much as we want to believe that, you know, everything is for good, you just, you, you just have to be really, really careful. Um, but it has been wild to watch this group grow and I remember um, one of the families that you mentioned, um, the aunt actually found my blog on the internet. And I remember it was 4th of July. And I think I had just graduated college. And for some reason, I was feeling like super emo because like 4th of July is supposed to be like this awesome thing. And it was like so anticlimactic, like again, I don't know. Um, but I got her email. And you know, basically her nephew had been diagnosed and of course they were given, you know, a very negative prognosis and she found me and just was like, oh my God, you know, to see the way you're living your life and how good you're doing, like it's so amazing. And then I know that um, you got in touch with the mom and eventually we, we met them and they're sort of one of the, the OGs. I think their son is now like 11 or something crazy. So watching these kids and these families like grow up um, has just been wild. Maisie, what do you think as someone who sort of is in and out of the, the Facebook land? Yeah, I think it's really cool that we've connected. And I think, like, I don't, I think it's important not to underestimate that emotional piece too, because like these kids, as they get older, like they're experiencing some of the same stuff that we've experienced. And like, it's kind of cool to watch them like to, I guess to be able to like support them and their families through stuff that we've gone through even if we don't necessarily have the same medical expertise or advice or experiences just having that sense of community um I had 
kind of a similar experience um, on Instagram. I, I, I refuse to make my Instagram private be, like for this very reason. Um, and I had a mom from Italy uh, reach out to me and say, um, I have a daughter with the same thing that you guys have and, and seeing you, it was really sweet. Like I get choked up just talking about it, but um, she was like, you know, seeing you thrive and live a normal life, like gives me hope for my daughter. And so I told her about the Facebook group and she was able to join and like get some of her questions answered. And, you know, again, like, I'm pretty sure we have a disclaimer in that group that like, we don't give medical advice and we have a disclaimer in this podcast that we don't. Um, but even just being able to pick people's brains and say, this is what my kid went through. Like, yes, this, you know, this is normal. This is when you should see a doctor. Like we, we don't know. <laughs> um, just sort of that sense of community and, you know, two brains are better than one sort of thing. Um, I think it's been really cool. I think it's been really interesting and we don't have like, you know, a big organization for our disease or a ribbon or anything. So we just kind of have each other, you know, it's, it's, it's made it easier. I think. What color would our ribbon be? I think we've talked about that. I think one, I think some people wanted it to be like zebra because we're rare and we said like pink glitter because we're extra. I don't know. <laughs> I think somebody actually did make one, but it's on a very small scale. It's like turquoise or something. It was not, it was not a group decision. Someone said brown for obvious reasons. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> it was not voted on by a the community. emoji. No. Um, you know, another thing in the group um, that I, I think is interesting too, and, you know, kind of how I come at things is, you know, we've been doing this for a very, very long time. And the way we do things are probably not what would be considered best practices at this point. And the protocols um, and advice have evolved, you know, greatly. And so, you know, when we share information, I'm always very, you know, adamant to say, I'm a 35 year old woman who eats regularly. And, you know, you're talking about your infant child who weighs, you know, eight pounds, I don't know how much babies weigh. Um, but, you know, just reminding people like what my formula is or how I make choices are not going to be the same for, you know, somebody who is of a different age or a different, you know, demographic or has been given di different instructions by their provider. We have sort of created our own ways of doing things that work for us. But if we were to, you know, we wouldn't necessarily advise others to do things the way that we do possibly. Yeah, setting up my tubing the way I want to in front of someone who works in healthcare has been a very funny experience. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's also been cool to like see like how other families um, sort of cope and, and navigate all of this. Cause we have like a weirdly close family, I think. And like, I feel like in some cases things like this, big events um, and obstacles either 
bring people really close together or kind of push them apart. Um, and we, I know this episode is all about mom, but um, can you talk a little bit about how like you and dad have gotten through this? Like, I know that's another kind of like loaded question, but like, how did he, I don't know. What do you, what do you feel like is the role that he's played in all of this? Um, he's the rock. He is definitely the rock. He, I'm glad we're doing a part two of this because I left this out of the first podcast and I thought about it later and I said, how could you possibly, when, when Mallory, when we brought you to Boston, when you were little, when you were a baby, um, well, first of all, we, we really felt like we were in a, on another planet when we, t we had to go in through the ER there and it was, um, you know, we were country mice in the city and it was, it was bizarre to us. But anyway, um, and we lived there for three months. We lived there. And during the three months that we were there, there was a, a shooting, a fire and a suicide. Like it, it, there was a lot for these two little country mice and your dad had to go back and work and then come, you know, when he could, and he would bring my laundry home and my mom would do it and he'd bring it back all clean and folded in a suitcase. But he also wasn't just your dad at Boston Children's. There were quite a few moms there who, for various reasons, didn't have a partner or, you know, their partner would come just long enough to, I won't even go into that, but um, they, some of the people were really awful. And and he would come and bring me coffee and he would come and bring those other moms coffee. And um, they gave him a big birthday party and had t-shirts made for him and everything. Um, he, he was just, he has the patience of a saint and he just did whatever needed to be done. And um, I was scared a lot, you know, and, and he just talked me through things and, um, but not that we didn't have our ups and downs. The stress definitely got to us um, from time to time. And we did access some therapy, some couples counseling that was hugely helpful. Um, and um, we still use those tools to this day. And we just celebrated our 37th anniversary. Oh my God, you guys are the cutest. Well, also I think I have to have dad on at some point because he's just, one of the most incredible humans and he definitely flies under the radar a lot um but he you know has done so much for our family to keep the ship sailing um that you know it would be interesting to see what he remembers about all the all the things from from his perspective as long as he agrees not to call either one of us sport because i will cry then we'll cry for sure or make his scrunchy face dad cry <laughs> you probably will do that i can't i'm sure i'm sure he'll do that so another thing that um you like to kind of send under the radar mother um i'm going to brag on you for a while not that we haven't already um but not only are you you know, our mom and an educator who, you know, supports other families. Um, but you have also become over the years, uh, a national champion for families of kids with special health care needs. 
across the country um, and those with rare diseases. And I know you and I, you know, sort of took that journey together and then, you know, diverted on our own professional journeys that intersect um, every now and again. Um, but would you talk a little bit about that um, and what that's been like? Sure. Um, well, for one thing, I never, that was never my goal to be, you know, a, a family leader at a national level, but um, I sort of got on the radar of folks um, when you were little, Mel, and we had to fight the insurance company left and right, and boy, they came after us with all the barrels. Um, and so I actually won an award called Against the Tide Award from uh, an advocacy group <clears throat> in Maine. And, um, and they had a doctor from New Hampshire that we had in New Hampshire. Do we have them in New Hampshire or here? Anyway, they had him come and give me the award. It was, it was, it was kind of a blur because I, I didn't really understand what was going on, but I just knew that I had fought the insurance company and we won. Um, so, so that sort of got me on the radar. So then year, then when, and you were doing advocacy work too. And we sort of, then when you were older, we both were doing, we were doing a lot of volunteer stuff. And then there came some funding for the state to have a family representative and a youth representative. So they asked us if we wanted to do it. And just so happened, it was paying twice what I was making. So I felt like I really needed to do it. So um, we did that. It was a huge learning experience because where we were headed, nobody was equipped to handle us. Nobody, they had this vision of what it was gonna look like. And we were like, no, it doesn't look like that at all. And that's a whole podcast in itself. So, but it was very, it was a great experience and I don't regret having done it because we got to meet some of the most amazing people and, um, and travel all over the place and see all kinds of different health systems and some places where they were doing some things really right. Um, uh, an example of that is I had the great good fortune to be able to visit Rhode Island where they were, um, they actually had family liaison, a family person in a, um, in a doctor's office working with family, in a couple of doctor's offices. One was in a developmental uh, clinic for uh, kids with autism and other, it, other similar issues. Um, and that mother, that person, it was mom, um, held, fo held family's hands as they started on their journey. And, you know, it, it was hugely, the, the doctors loved it. And then there was another prematurity clinic and they did it, the same thing there. It was fantastic. So that's an example of seeing some real successes. Um, and, you know, I was hoping to bring some of this back to Maine, but unfortunately our administration changed for the worse in Maine. And I was literally banging my head against a brick wall. So, um, so I decided to go back to home visiting for a while, but then um, I've had, the good fortune to be able to apply for a job with maternal child health title five in Maine again in a in a uh, staff capacity as opposed to um, a contractor so um, so I'm learning a lot from that standpoint too and I think I may have some opportunities in the future to do some uh, 
family leadership work again. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been kind of a wild journey. And I think what's funny is that both you and I, you know, did this work together and then sort of like took a break for our own various reasons and then sort of are back where we, where, not where we started, but like back in that landscape. Um, and it's been really cool to sort of reconnect with a lot of those people and just see what's, what's happening on a national level again. So, I mean, we have so many stories we could tell, but I know that, um, when we took on those roles, one thing I will add is part of, um, your role was traveling with me and we went to so many conferences and had just so many adventures um, as a dynamic advocacy duo. And I just still look back on those memories. And I know we text about so many of them all the time. And just, we were so, so fortunate um, to go to everything that we did. Because once I, you know, switched organizations, I realized that like, or like, you know, worked with the state people, it was competitive to go to conferences. And I just like looking back, I was like, oh my gosh, like the fact that we got to go to so many conferences and used to travel all the time, like we were so, so fortunate. And I think that just, I don't know. I, I also learned um, so much, but it was really amazing being able to do that together. Well, now looking back to, um, I, I can't believe that I had some of the opportunities that I had. I was able to attend a cultural competence um, conference at uh, Georgetown University that was just unbelievable. And I still take that, um, take that information and that experience with me into my work, into all my work, whatever I'm doing. Um, it was, I learned a lot. And I, um, and I really learned, mostly what I learned was where we're not, where we, where we really still need a lot of work. Um, so there was that, but also remember the time that, I think this was the first, one of the first conferences we were invited, you and I were invited to speak in um, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And we had to- yep. We had to fly to Minneapolis, rent a car, which I had never done before in my life, and drive to Eau Claire. And Maisie was with us, too. We brought Maisie. And yep. do you remember that, Maisie? And um, mostly, like, I remember dropping my phone in a toilet in a mall. <laughs> I remember um, driving that car, and you guys fell asleep, thank God, because there were dead deer every five feet. It was disgusting at varying levels of decomposition. It was gross. <laughs> but then that. when we got there, do you guys remember that there was a clown there? A woman who did, um, like, clown therapy or whatever? Um, and I'm still friends with her on Facebook. She's quite something. I, I don't remember the clown, but I actually am still friends with one of their youth leaders that I met um, at that conference. And, you know, I think it's so funny, the random memories we have and the people that we've connected with. I mean, God, our, I feel so fortunate because of that opportunity to, I, I know people in pretty much every state 
like if we were to go somewhere like we have such an incredible network um but i but i also we did that i mean it's one thing to go to conferences and have these opportunities but you know i don't want it to go unsaid that like we built those connections and those relationships and that's why we i think we're so good in our positions and also did things that i don't think were possibly expected of us when we were given those roles so it it was just amazing um and really you know for me personally you know built my career um to what it is so there's so much more we could say about that but i just think it's incredible um the way you've connected with other families and you know were a champion and continue to be a champion um for families all over um i would be remiss if i didn't talk about hole in the wall gang camp too um you know when i first started attending those parents weekends i i was a parent in need of um interactions with other parents but as the years went by um i started being a host parent and um and leading some workshops and um and you know doing one-on-ones with other family members and stuff and and that was also a huge learning for me and um and one of the things that i'm most proud of yeah i think we can definitely like i feel like camp played a big role in a lot of sort of who we became as a family and as people so maybe that's something we can talk about at some point too that's i think it's crazy like the amount of advocacy work that you guys have done and it's just so cool how it's all like come together and i don't know i just think it's really cool i'm really proud of you guys <laughs> um so i guess like to kind of wrap up what is your advice for families who are trying to navigate all of this or like maybe for those families whose kids don't fit into a club or you know there isn't an organization or a ribbon for them what would you i think this this episode and the last episode have been hugely helpful but like what's one piece of advice that you would want to give them i don't think i don't think i could just do one piece of advice if i had to pick one piece of advice it would be self-care 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 be gentle on yourself give yourself some time to digest the you know what's happening to you as a as a human and what's happening to your family um but also keeping yourself strong is what's going to help with um being able to vocalize your family's needs um because if you don't no one else will <laughs> um i was i was pretty shy and introverted before i had you guys and um i learned and i was in awe of anybody in the medical profession but i learned very quickly that i had to a be able to vocalize our needs in order to get your needs met and and sometimes that was a life or death necessity and um and so my shyness had to take the back seat and i had to learn to be an advocate and um a vocal advocate and then on top of that i had to also model for you and teach you guys how to be advocates for yourself and um 
So those are, I guess that's the piece of advice I would give to families is self-care. And by self-care, I don't mean, you know, run a hot bath for yourself every now and then. I mean, eat healthy, get exercise, take breaks. At, um, you know, if you're in a couple, then work on that couple piece too. Um, keep that healthy. Um, it takes work to be able to do that because you've got to train folks to take care of your child so that you can have a break. Um, and that is a that's a whole nother podcast, but, um, but it's very important to, to take care of yourself so that you can, you, you have to put on your own oxygen mask before you can help others. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge. And I, I'm, I don't know. I think that's a really good takeaway and I'm really, I'm just really proud that you're my mom. I just love you. Well, I'm proud. I am very proud to be your mom. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. And I'm sure we'll have you on again eventually um, because you just have so much wisdom. And since we said like 18 times, that could be its own podcast. I think we have material for future episodes. So are there any other final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners before we end today? Um, no, thank you for having me. And I'm very anxious for you to have your dad because I want to listen to that podcast because I think his perception will be very different than mine. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> um, and the final thing that I would like to say is if I had it to do over again, um, I would still want to be your mom. If I had to choose, if someone said to me, you can do this all over again, and you would have two different kids, and they wouldn't have microvillus inclusion disease, I would say, no, give me the ones that I already have. That's good. Thank you. Aww. That's nice. It is nice. All right. So, as always, you can find us on Instagram <laughs> at the underscore Masonator. Uh, Mal is at Curb Cuts and Cocktails. And then we have our podcast one at with Maze and Mal. Um, and follow us. Wait, what is it? Subscribe. Follow us on Patreon. I don't know. Do whatever you have to do to be on Patreon. And you can see the videos of us making faces at each other um, on Zoom. And <laughs> Oh, you can? <laughs> uh, well, if they subscribe, but... We don't have many, so <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry about it. But that's an incentive. You can see my mom's face. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, we will see you next time, I guess. I think that's it. Anything else, Mel? Nope. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and we appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs>